the Dairy Dialogue podcast is back after the holidays, having eaten too much and watched time fly by much more quickly than it normally does. And all of a sudden, here we are in a new year, most of the goodwill and cheer long since gone and back into the thick of things. So happy new year. And I'm sure I'm among the last to say it. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this is podcast number 64, which brings to mind the Beatles when I'm 64. According to the song, I've already lost my hair, which is quite accurate. It's funny, when you get into a routine, things get to be automatic and a bit easier, like putting the podcast together. We skipped last week because the only way to fill it would have been me talking, and who needs that to greet 2020? So this week, we're back with three guests. We talked to Dr. Amber Milan, a research fellow at the Liggins Institute in New Zealand and researcher for Ag Research, about her group's findings on sheep milk digestibility. Nadia El Zanfali, marketing manager at Volac and an active member of the European Whey Processors Association steering group about the Whey for Living website. And to Benoit Tarrenier, Product Manager, Specialty Rice Ingredients at Benio about some upcoming trends. And of course, we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. I hope everybody had a great holiday and is now raring to go for another year. Where we are in Scotland, it's a bit difficult to be raring to go. There's not much sunlight, lots of rain and high winds causing a bit of havoc. But this is absolutely nothing when you compare it to the awful scenes over the last few weeks from Australia. And now there's been an earthquake in Puerto Rico. I think 2020 is going to be a year when climate change and sustainability come even more to the forefront. Usually a new year starts slowly for news, but not so this year. There's been plenty happening already, and so we'll kick off with some of the latest news from DairyReporter.com. We've had a couple of articles on how the fires in Australia have affected the dairy industry. More than 800 dairy farms closed in Wisconsin and the US last year, an increase on the year before. Tetra Pak has launched a virtual reality platform pilot project with Hexagon, and Germany has introduced new milk production standards. Danone has signed a 12-year renewable energy deal, also in the US, and a study has found garlic in cow feed not only keeps methane down, but also improves milk yield. Not quite sure what it does for their breath. So these stories and a whole lot more can be found on DairyReporter.com. So let's get on with the show. Shortly before the Christmas break, I spoke with Dr. Amber Milan, a research fellow at the Liggins Institute in New Zealand and researcher for Ag Research, about her group's findings on the digestibility of sheep milk. So is this study on sheep a part of your research? Um, Yes, it's it's a part of my research. So um, I, I do kind of generally human nutrition research, so I'm really interested in knowing more about what the foods that we eat do for our body, so how we digest them and what kind of health benefits they have. So as part of that, I've been um, working alongside with different industries in New Zealand. And so, you've, you know, you've spoken to Fonterra, so you know milk is a really big deal in New Zealand. So there's a lot of my work has had to do um, with milk. So this is one of the studies that I've been looking at, um, differences in digestion between uh, sheep and cow milk. But I have done other research, so looking at um, how meals are digested in older people. Um, I'm looking a little bit at digestive discomforts as well. So yeah, it's, it's part of lots of different types of research that I'm doing, but all kind of trying to understand how we digest foods and how they can benefit us in our our diet, really. So could you give us a little background on the study itself? 
Yeah, this is a human study, but some of the some of my colleagues that are working on this um, at AgriSearch, um, so Linda Samuelson and Lee Day, um, they've been doing research on sheet milk for a number of years, um, and that's close closely with the sheet milk industry in New Zealand as well. And so their research has sort of been around developing an understanding of well, what is it about sheet milk that makes it different or makes it special? What are some of the benefits that it might have? So looking at that maybe in you know some animal models. So they've done a few animal studies to see how sheep milk could be used instead of cow to help help them grow um, and also looking at the different properties of it so how could we use it in food products um, or how could we develop it so that the food products we might want to use it in like cheese we can use it as an alternative to cow milk so that's kind of where this sort of started and then what we really wanted to do was take some of that research that we knew about those differences with the sheep milk the types of nutritional properties that it had that might mean that it has a an advantage or a benefit for human health and actually look at that in humans because that's what's most relevant for our understanding of how we can use it in our diet so as a comparison, we decided to just look at, well, what happens when you drink just a glass of sheep milk compared to a glass of cow milk? And what kind of nutrient absorption do we have from that? And is there any kind of a difference in, in how it's digested, how it makes us feel when it's digested? And surprisingly, even though that sounds like a really simple comparison, just comparing a glass of sheep milk to a glass of cow milk um, and what happens right after you drink it, that hadn't been done before. So that's kind of where this study came from. And it's really just a, a first look at, well, we know there are these compositional differences between sheep and cow milk, but what actually happens when we drink it and can we see that kind of a, a difference in our blood in terms of how the proteins and the fats are absorbed and does it have a difference in the way that it makes us feel after drinking. So there, there were kind of two aspects to the results then. There was the sort of the how, we, how you feel, but also the more specific, the biochemistry that's involved as well. Yeah, yeah, pretty much um, because we, we know that there are all these differences in the, the types of fats and proteins um, that are in sheep milk and how much of each of these fats and proteins there are in sheep milk. So we thought that sort of from a biochemical standpoint, you know, that should actually translate to something that we can see happening within the body. But another, another aspect to it was this digestive comfort because we know that people who are, are going towards something like sheep milk um, or maybe other, other milk alternatives to cow milk um, might be doing so for a number of reasons. And a lot of times what we do know is that people who avoid drinking something like cow milk, a lot of times it's because they say that they can't really tolerate it. Because of, there are so many differences in the proteins, the fats, um, just in general with sheep milk compared to cow milk, that also makes it an appealing thing to look at in terms of tolerance. So is there something that's more digestible um, about sheep milk that means that people who might not be able to tolerate cow milk could tolerate sheep milk instead? So it was something that we were quite interested in. And actually, the people that we decided to do the research on were people who also reported that they usually don't drink cow milk. So it was a, a target group of people that we know might be avoiding cow milk for a number of reasons. And so was there any kind of a benefit for them if they, if they drank sheep milk? Was it easier for them to digest and did it offer any nutritional benefit? What were the results from the study? Well, um, we had a number of really interesting results. The main thing that we were interested in was those nutrients. And so we were really interested in the protein differences because we, we have a really good understanding um, that the protein that we eat in a food, the way that the building blocks of the protein, the amino acids, show up in our blood, that can have a really big impact on how the proteins are used to build things like muscle or help support growth. 
And sheet milk does have more of some of these really essential um, amino acids, these building blocks called branch chain amino acids. And so we wanted to see whether having more of these um, and having it in the sheet milk um, actually translated to actually seeing more of them in the blood. So that is what we saw. So when we compared a glass of sheet milk to a glass of cow milk, um, the sheet milk was able to deliver more of these branch chain amino acids into the blood um, after a single serve um, than cow milk would. So we think that that could have you know, some potential benefits for people who need to make sure they have enough of these amino acids for building muscle. So that could be people like the elderly who are already at risk of losing some of their muscle mass or people who might be wanting to put on a bit more muscle, like people who are going to the gym. Um, but it can also just be a really good nutrient-dense source of protein to help support growth in general. So that was one of the main findings that we found. We also looked at the fats because we know that they're quite different. So I think one of the interesting things we saw was that um, even though there's more fat in the sheep milk compared to the cow milk, that didn't mean that the amount of fat that showed up in the blood or the rise in fat in the blood was any different. Um, so even with having a higher amount of fat, that sort of body's response to the fat was maintained. Um, and that can have some maybe important implications for how the fat is used and stored within the body. So we know if we have a really big spike in fat after we eat a high-fat meal or, or something that has a lot of fat in it, then if the body doesn't handle that well, then it can put us at a bit of a higher risk for cardiovascular disease. So the fact that the sheet milk, even though it has more fat, still has the same fat response um, as a lower-fat cow milk, then that's, that suggests that you know, there's probably a very similar benefit in terms of the impact that it would have on our heart health. There were also um, a lot more of the potentially beneficial fats that we see that sheet milk already contains that we could actually measure in the blood after people ate. So these were a lot of um, medium-chain fatty acids, um, and so we know that these are absorbed quite well and quite rapidly. Um, and that they're also used for energy preferentially. So we were able to show basically that we had more of these fats in the sheet milk, and then that was translating to what we could see um, happening in the blood after drinking. The third thing, which has to do with the uh, digestibility, so how people felt, was we wanted to know whether they, so these were people that um, usually avoid drinking milk, usually avoid drinking cow milk, and we actually found that most of them, when we tested them during the study, were actually lactose intolerant. So that's probably one of the reasons why they were avoiding drinking milk. And so we wanted to see if providing them sheet milk might actually be a little bit easier on their digestion. Um, what we found was that actually after this one glass, there wasn't any difference in how they felt. So they had some discomfort, obviously, when they drank cow milk because most of them were lactose intolerant but they had a very similar amount of discomfort with sheet milk. So that does suggest to us that there might not be sort of short-term benefits in terms of how the sheet milk makes you feel. Um, but what we also know is that um, the way that lactose is digested can sometimes change as well. So it is something that we'd like to follow up because we found that the amount of lactose that was absorbed from the sheet milk, um, it was absorbed potentially a little bit better than from the cow milk. Um, so even though that didn't mean that they felt a lot better drinking the sheet milk, it could mean that longer term um, we might be able to see whether people with lactose intolerance could benefit from drinking sheet milk over cow milk. A lot has been made recently, I guess, of the A2 milk. How does that factor into the equation? Is, is there other similarities? Or? 
Um, I think there are some, some learnings that we can maybe think about how we look at either sheep milk research um, or also other ruminant milk species like goats. Because with the A2 milk story, the big difference there is that one of the main proteins, the, the casein, there's a specific variant of, of the casein, the A2 variant, um, that A2 milk has that is the only type that it has, um, whereas conventional cow milk has a mix of a, different, of, of a few different other types of variants, including A1. But with other ruminant milks like sheep and goat, they actually don't have exactly the same types of casein as cow anyway, um, and they've got some variation in what those um, caseins look like. So what that means is that the way that the body breaks down those caseins is going to be different, and those caseins, um, once they're broken down, can have different effects on how they're digested, how they go through the gastrointestinal tract, and whether they might have any kinds of immune response um, within the body that can contribute to how it's digested and how people feel after drinking. So I think it's an interesting thing for us to be looking at um, for something like sheep milk, because we do know that there are these inherent differences in the types of proteins that are contained there, because they're not the same as cow milk. Um, and so there could be some interesting things to look at. And I guess sheep milk is very different compositionally. Yes, it is different compositionally. So, I, I mean, some people have said that the, the caseins that are in um, things like goat or sheep are A2-like. So they do have a lot of the same properties as what you would see in that A2 beta casein, um, but they are still different. So potentially there are some very unique properties that they might have um, as opposed to what you might see in those variations that you get between cow species. Yeah. Is there a general awareness in the public about sheep milk and the difference in properties? I know that any time that I mention that I'm doing this research, people will ask me, oh, you know, what, what other types of things, or, or even just in terms of uh, people knowing that I've got expertise in nutrition, they'll want to know, oh, well, what are the benefits of sheep milk? What do we know? So I think there is already that consumer awareness that there are differences and there are potentially some benefits to these alternate products. And that, that goes along with sort of the composition in the health, but also, you know, people are, are a lot more aware, I think, of agricultural practices, climate impact, that kind of a thing. So, so there's a lot of different things that they're taking into account. There's definitely an interest in having that, that science to back it up. So I think this type of research is really important in that field because the reality is that we don't really know a lot about specific benefits. Um, when we're doing comparative studies, so, you know, compared to cow milk, how does sheep milk perform for, you know, athletes or how does it perform in terms of um, infant formulas? There's not a lot of research out there. And so I think that that's really important because the consumers are interested in knowing what specific benefits can they be looking to or, you know, for someone who's got um, an intolerance to milk, if they switch, is that going to benefit them? So I think this is a really great study to sort of kick that off and start being able to uncover what is the evidence there? Can we, can we look at what kind of scientific mechanisms are contributing to some of these health benefits that, that we think might be associated with um, different types of milk? Well, it's exciting to be able to be on the cutting edge of something that isn't just academic, but also has sort of those commercial implications as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things, personally, as a scientist, that I, I really enjoy about my research. I mean, asking people, you know, what happens when they when they eat food or trying to uncover that scientifically, it's, it's kind of easy, an easy thing to relate to. But I, I think that also means that it's got, you know, these real world applications where people can look at the scientific study and say, well, that's, that's kind of what I could expect if it was, I was comparing a glass to glass comparison of what it's going to do to my body. 
So yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of potential there. Next, the European Way Processes Association has big plans for its new website, wayforliving.com, which has just launched. Nadia Elzanfali is marketing manager at Volac, and she's also an active member of the EWPA steering group. And she was good enough to give us all the details about the new site and what the plans are for informing the public about whey protein. The European Whey Processing Association, or the EWPA, launched wayforliving.com at the start of this year, so the 1st of January 2020. The main aim of that was to establish a positive voice on the protein debate, essentially, but focusing on whey protein. And it's really about communicating science-based facts in different levels, really, whether that's on, you know, including recipes, infographics, all different topics, but to really engage with consumers directly. So it's not for producers, it's aimed at the end consumer. Yes, so this is a B2C digital communication platform. You know, I think it's quite easy to just assume we all know about whey protein because we work in the industry. And that's not just from a manufacturing perspective, that's athletes, doctors, nutritionists, but really outside of that, I think there's varying levels of knowledge, I suppose, around whey protein. And really this site is there to increase that. There's been a lot of hype as well around plant proteins, and it's really just conveying whey protein in a positive light via scientific knowledge, essentially. Obviously, getting the information onto the website is one thing, but how do you then communicate that to the people that you want to reach? So there's a big social media push with this. So it will be um, on various platforms. So it'll be Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and that's starting middle of January. Is there a specific target audience or are you just trying to increase awareness in general? When we were looking at this, we decided for the younger demographic, essentially, that we feel are more susceptible to the media hype around plant proteins, really using these digital platforms that we can really leverage our messaging across to them. And how big is the EWPA group? There are about 20 active members participating in this, in the task force. So the website is really just an opportunity for you to promote all aspects of the product? Absolutely. I mean, it's really just communicating with everyday consumers about the benefits of whey protein, how they can use it, whether that's via recipes in their everyday baking, whether that's if they just want to improve their diet, so if they just want to have more knowledge. There's also a protein calculator on there to tell them how much protein to consume each day. And it's really, you know, about guiding them positively and communicating the science-based knowledge that we know. Obviously, it's not the case within the industry, but I guess that the consumer, when they think whey protein, they think gyms and bodybuilding. Absolutely. And I think part of this is combating that misnomer, you know, where it's very beneficial within sports nutrition. And, you know, bodybuilders do use it, but it's also for everyone. Uh, It's not just... Um, exclusively for that category. It's really about this active nutrition group that we all talk about now. It's really beneficial in that group. It's, you know, for healthy aging as well as everyday muscle repair and recovery and explaining the benefits of a complete amino acid profile which whey protein has. And you mentioned their healthy aging seems to be very on trend as indeed is high protein. So it seems that this is very relevant at the moment. 
Absolutely. I mean, high protein, it's always carried a health halo around it. And it's really just explaining the different types of protein and the quality that's associated with, this, with the different types of protein, essentially, because that's not necessarily easy for everyday consumers to understand. That's part of Way for Living. It really breaks down the science behind it into bite-sized chunks that appeals to everyone. Right. And what kind of content is it? Is it sort of articles, videos, lots of different media? On the platform, there'll be articles, recipes, there'll be tips and videos that will be available for inspiration and to sort of spark debate around whey protein, but also, more importantly, how everyone can incorporate it into their daily diet. And it's, it's difficult as well, because I know that when you're in the industry and you understand all of these things, but it's trying to convey that in a way that consumers will not only understand but also find engaging exactly and it's also making the platform relevant to the demographic which is why we're using instagram facebook youtube because we need to make sure we're appealing to that demographic in the most relevant way so with instagram there'll be short videos there'll be really interesting facts that just easy takeaways for consumers to learn and so it's not really just a website launch it's more of an ongoing thing that you'll be promoting through social media and constantly updating the site? Oh, absolutely. This will be a big campaign, so it won't just be the launch. This is just the start. The site launch is the start, and then there'll be a big social media campaign starting from uh, mid-January. And I guess with websites these days, there's a lot of analysis that you can do on the data when it comes to who's visiting the website, etc. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's the most exciting part, isn't it? Looking at the data and analysing the data and seeing what results you have. So, yeah, we're looking forward to, um, to reviewing that hopefully next month. Um, and we'll review regularly. And if, it's, you know, if we feel that maybe there's a different demographic that we could um, appeal to, then you know, we can adapt that quite quickly. It is really exciting you know, for us to have that level of engagement with consumers almost on a direct level coming from a B2B business is really exciting. And now it's over to Benoit Tavernier, Product Manager, Specialty Rice Ingredients at Beneo. And we chatted about recent product showcases at Beneo and also upcoming trends for 2020. Well, yeah, uh, in general, we were showcasing our solutions and then the clean label uh, aspect and also in the in the, the field of organic uh, because we feel that those were the two one of the main trends uh, related to rice ingredients so mainly rice starch uh, and in, or, in order to uh, substantiate that we, we showcased an organic yogurt vanilla flavored uh, with organic rice starch just to show that vanilla can offer uh, organic solutions with rice starch and the rice starch is really added to the vanilla food prep to bring uh, an additional creamy mouthfeel and, and, and a good body. Uh, and that's really thanks to the rice starch itself uh, because it has really small granules, as, as you might know, uh, which brings and which helps to, to give the creamy mouthfeel on the, on the organic and then the clean label trends that we were, uh, we were focusing uh, with our clean label starches and the organic uh, rice starches we have in our portfolio. Obviously, you're looking at new trends all the time. What kind of trends are you looking to address right now and as 2020 develops? Well, as you know, clean label is really clean label and simple uh, simple labels. So labels that the consumer understands, can easily understand, 
is really of, of the utmost importance. The label product launches really doubled between the 2012 and now, even even more. Um, so more and more European consumers are really looking uh, at the ingredient list. They really want to know what's in the in the product they are buying. They want to be well aware of, of what they are eating and if it really fits in their in their diet, if it's natural and so on. So that's really one of the, the key trends that we see and that we are focusing on in the dairy segment, as well as uh, dairy alternatives. And there, the biggest challenge often is creating the same body, the same mouthfeel, the same texture as uh, dairy products, for example, in drinking yogurt or in yogurt in, in general. And, and there we feel that with our rice starch, we can add that creamy mouthfeel uh, that normally is brought by uh, everything which is related to milk, so the milk protein, the milk fat. Uh, and it's not always easy uh, to find the right replacement, but we feel, and that's also where we develop, uh, we, we want to develop recipes and so on in the dairy alternative sector. And there we really see that the rice starch can, can bring that stable texture to, uh, and, and still give the creamy mouthfeel to the products in the dairy alternative sector. And next to that, we also see uh, the organic trend growing. In the last uh, decade, let's say, the product launches in, in uh, organic, so in foods and beverages, tripled. And a significant part of that was also really in the dairy sector. Um, so also there we feel that uh, we should develop and extend our portfolio potentially with uh, organic rice starches further. I think a lot of it seems to point to consumers getting a little bit more aware and more interested in the health of not only themselves, but the planet, I guess. Yeah, indeed. So everything which is sustainable, which is related to, to natural. So those are really the, the key words that we feel that consumer is really uh, looking at. And we also want to, to play on that uh, on that field. So really the transparent and ethical labeling where they're looking at. And that's also something that we want to further look at and, and see how we can we can be uh, on trend there. You t kind of touched on the, the dairy alternative space there a minute ago. Obviously, those must provide different issues to the dairy space. You can't just sort of plonk one ingredient that you would use in a dairy application into a dairy-free application. No, indeed. And it's like I said, it's really the, the milk is something unique. It really gives the, the creamy uh, mouth. It gives the right texture. And to replace everything which is related to milk is not always easy. So to come with an attractive product, which is dairy, so dairy alternative product for, for a dairy, for for example, dairy dessert for for a drink, is not that easy. And uh, a lot of producers in the dairy sector are really struggling to find the right right ingredients that can bring that texture, that can bring a similar uh, mouthfeel. If you have, for example, uh, an almond drink, it can be quite liquid, and it's not always easy to to mimic right texture or the texture that people are used to have with milk products and they're, they're often looking at, at, at uh, starches, for example, to bring that texture. Rice starch can be the perfect uh, ingredient for that uh, because it brings an additional creamy mouthfeel thanks to the small starch granules, but also brings a stable uh, texture. So that's also again linked with the molecular structure of rice starch, which, is, which gives by nature, let's say, a, a stable, uh, stable product. And that's also one of the main uh, challenges and, and that the dairy alternative producers are facing uh, for the moment. And, and I suppose the other aspect of that as well is that people are willing to give these things a try, but they have to be cost effective as well. 
Indeed, uh, and that's also also the struggle. Uh, so it's cost effective, and again, that's one thing. The other thing is is really the ethical aspect. Yeah, yeah. Are there any things that you're you're working on at the moment? I mean, when does your season start for uh, upcoming shows? Uh, well, the biggest, of course, in, in Europe was the FIE, and now we're we take ideas, uh, let's say, from from that ex- exhibition to further develop and further work on uh, what's trending in the market. And again, we're further working on on everything which is related to clean label starches or clean label texturizers uh, in general. And next to that, as I said, the organic trend is is, is there, uh, and we also want to do there uh, something there um, without disclosing too much details, of course. But that's really the playing field that we're looking at, and we want to develop uh, our rising ingredients in, in that direction uh, to really further extend the clean label uh, portfolio, and then see what we can do on the organic uh, on the organic trend. I guess when it comes to a lot of these big events, we tend to see them as an opportunity for companies such as yours to sell your products. But I guess it's also an opportunity to hear from your customers what they're looking for and to be able to shape your future products. Obviously, obviously. And those are the perfect, perfect chances, the perfect uh, events, let's say. So looking what... The, uh, our customers want, but also looking at yeah, what's what's living in the in the industry, in the food industry, uh, what there, uh, and you see everybody, everybody is, is is going into the to the same direction, and the trends are there. So, in fact, you don't see a lot of surprises, but anyway, you want to see it confirmed, and then maybe here and there uh, get some ideas by by our customers and, and the end consumers. And and when's the next show that you have to get ready for? Those are more the more the local ones. So we have a free from exhibition, uh, and then we have some exhibitions in the in the US as well. Uh, as you know, we are a global company, so we have also the Clean Label uh, exhibition or the Clean Label conference. It's called. So those are really the ones that we're attending. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INCL FC Stone. The European dairy market got started again this week after a, quite a stagnant couple of weeks uh, during the Christmas holidays. It started the first week of trading in 2020 with a boost probably for the bulls, contrary to maybe what was trade sentiment. This was definitely helped by the strong GDT auction, which was overall up by about 2.8%. Um, that was a rally that was probably more than expected, uh, driven by the unfortunate fires in Australia and, and fears for regional production. Uh, butter here in European futures was up about 50 to 70 euros across the, the forward curve for 2020 uh, since before the holiday season began. We've had quarter one trading around 36.50 level this week, quarter two about 3700, quarter three about 37.70 and quarter four at the 38.25 level. Skimmel powder also received a marginal boost along the curve which continues to be very flat up about 10 to 20 euros. Quarter one at the back end of the first week here is trading around 25.80. Quarter two and three are about the 25.90 level and quarter four at the 2600 level. We was trading around the 770 level. Thanks Liam, we'll catch up with you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for the first show of 2020. I've already done one interview for next week's show with the International Dairy Federation and we'll also be talking to Spring Sheep Milk Company, a nice follow-on from this week's interview. 
Over the next week, I'll be busily preparing for the Sijep event in Rimini, which is coming up fast, and that's followed by the ice cream event in Harrogate in the UK. And then it's off to the Salon du Fromage in Paris the week after that. Then in March, a tour of the Netherlands is looming, so hopefully plenty of interviews from all of that. And our US reporter, Beth Newhart, is at a few events too, so we should have some podcast material from there as well. She's heading to Arizona at the end of the month, and I assume that will be a little bit warmer than Rimini in the winter. The forecast there is for sunny but chilly, so exactly the same as Scotland, only without the sunny part of the equation. We even went so far as to buying one of those sad lamps that are supposed to replace the sun's rays and get you through the winter blues, but I can't say it's working. Although, having said that, one of the cats is wearing sunglasses now. Anyway, it's great to be back. Hope you have a great week, and indeed a great year, and I also hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening.